Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I'm joined by Colin Johnson, a co-founder and the CEO of Aprika, a Salesforce ISV partner. In the episode, Colin talks us through his career before Salesforce, how he first came across the Salesforce platform, and the journey since. He then shares how and why he started Aprika with his co-founder, what their initial plan had been, and how the business has evolved over the years. We look at where the different ideas have come from for the products they have built, how they have marketed their products, and Colin shares some insight on what he feels makes a product business successful. As Colin's business has grown, so too has his role. So he provides some information on what his role looks like now and then discusses what he really loves about being heavily involved in the Salesforce ecosystem. I really enjoyed recording this episode with Colin and I hope you get some value from it too. If you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. So Colin, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for being a guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. So really excited to hear about your journey, your products and and the business that you co-run. And what I'd like to do is start back at the beginning. So before the world of Salesforce and before Aprika was a business, what were you doing? What was your expertise or your career at that point? <laughs> I think my first bit would be like, how long have you got? <laughs> the, uh, I wouldn't say my expertise lay anywhere. I was certainly a jack of all trades. I think my mum often said to me, I think you're training to be a careers advisor because you're trying to get experience in so many different industries. But <laughs> um, you know, I started off in a finance department. I probably going to surprise you, but I, I became a chef. I was a bricklayer. I was a truck driver. I then kind of realized that, you know, I think to kind of get anywhere where I wanted to go was uh, was going to take a bit more focus. So I actually put myself through night school to to get my degree. And during that time, I was working for a, um, a handheld computer manufacturer. So during that time, I taught myself to code and so I had a few different jobs within that business. So I was a project manager, I was a business analyst. And then on graduating, I, I moved into marketing. So I actually, I, I then sort of like probably for the next five or six years, really focused in on, on marketing in, in a few different industries, spent a lot of time in automotive. So I was working for Audi and Alfa Romeo. And then I got into, so I, I became the digital marketing manager for a nonprofit. And uh, so looking after all of their website and tech stack, and, and that's ultimately how I, uh, how I got into Salesforce in that role. Okay. So were they implemented Salesforce or they were already using it when you joined the business? Uh, no, they weren't, they weren't using anything. So back in, I think it was 2004, I went out to one of the remits of that role was to get a CRM system for the business. So I um I went out to tender, went through due diligence, and the top two one you know, the top two that came out from that process one was obviously Salesforce, and the other one was an on-premise solution that was probably the number one CRM system at the time. And uh, we well I, I I leaned towards Salesforce because I mean it wasn't even called cloud computing back then. I think it was like on-demand CRM, and the fact that we didn't need our own servers, we were a relatively small nonprofit with a limited IT resource so the fact that we could just have this accessible by anyone anywhere we had a we had a field team as well so being able to just get to it through the browser was 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 a huge appeal and little did I know how how much that was going to change my life personally obviously because right now if I if I look back to 
obviously Salesforce is, is always up in the top right section of the of, of Gartner quadrants, whereas I think this this one has probably fallen off the bottom left now, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, certainly from from my perspective, good decision. But yeah, it, it's literally like driven my career from that point forward as well. Yeah, nice. So when you um, when you chose Salesforce, what was your role then? Did you were you involved in the implementation, or did you oversee a partner that came in and did that? Both actually. So I was I was heavily involved in setting it all up. I went off to so this was in the UK. Uh, I went off to Dublin for my for my week long system admin course. That you know, back then there were no Salesforce certifications to be had. So I spent the week in Dublin and came home with this paper based manual about about this big. And then from there, yeah, it was, I was working with a, a local, I mean, it wasn't a, a Salesforce partner. The ecosystem wasn't that established back then, but this company worked with us through the, through the evaluation of the tender and, and, and assisted with implementation. So um, when you say that like a partner didn't kind of exist back then, when are we talking? Like when, when was this? This would have been 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, real early days then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was literally like, what, four or five years old Salesforce at the time. It was a big, big risk in the sense of, yeah, you know, it was, it was certainly the the new kid on the block at the time. So there was definitely encouragement from others in the in the business to to look at these on premise solutions. So it was, uh, it was certainly, I, I guess, it felt like the more risky decision at the time, but certainly turned out to be a, a good one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sounds it. So we'll go on to your business and um, and how that came to be but there seems to me like a bit of a gap between when you first implemented Salesforce and when the business started so did you continue on as like a Salesforce professional after that or were you did you stay in the not-for-profit for a while or how did your journey with Salesforce evolve from that point? Yeah I mean so I actually stayed working at that company for about four years so I was like a, a system admin for that business you know you're talking about a time when and sandboxes didn't exist. You like you had like S controls, and I mean there was there was no Visual Force or Apex back then. So um, I think you know I remember I remember going to what would now be considered a world tour in London in 2005. I think there was probably about 100, 200 people there. You know, I think uh, Mark Benioff was on was was on stage doing the doing the keynote, and then we we all got broken up into small you know focus groups of about 10 or 12 people so yeah very different to what you see at the world tours now but yeah so I, I stayed there for four years and and then when I moved over to Australia that's uh, so I, I ended up getting a getting a job in a software company based in Melbourne and so I was the marketing manager for that business and one of the requirements was to manage Salesforce and and yeah that's that's where I actually met Chris my business partner so where where obviously you kind of your head bumped together and this idea of mission control uh, came came from there, but where did you see that opportunity? And was at that point was it obvious that that could be turned into a business? Uh, not really. No, we were definitely let, we we didn't really necessarily have a, a key plan. Mission control wasn't necessarily the product that we were looking to to build. So Chris and I obviously just hit it off at this company where we were working, and we both liked the idea of running our own business and. Yeah, honestly, the the main reason was we were both keen surfers, and we we loved the idea of having some recurring revenue that might allow us to go out surfing a bit more frequently. So, as to say, like mission control wasn't even necessarily the plan. So the idea was that we were going to start this company up and build some apps on the App Exchange. Obviously, both Chris and I had been involved at that point. We'd prob- both had about eight years of experience with Salesforce at that time. So. It was never a question of where are we going to build the product. It was more a question of what are we going to build. 
So we actually, our first product in TallyMail, so that's a simple tool that just lets you send reports and dashboards to non-Salesforce users. So we built that really early on. I think it, you know, uh, it was up on the App Exchange maybe within about six months. But really to, to pay the bills, we, we started consulting. So we, we sourced a few implementation projects of our own, and that really was the catalyst to then becoming a Salesforce partner. And upon becoming a, a certified partner, the floodgates just opened really. We, we, we were constantly getting new, new prospects coming to us from Salesforce. And, and this is really what drove the need for, for what is now mission control. So we, we just got super busy delivering implementation projects. We needed something to keep on top of all of that. And probably now, maybe it's probably about 16, 17 years ago, I'd put together a, an Excel spreadsheet that I could you know, populate a, a list of tasks and that would color code some other, some other cells to make it look like a Gantt chart. So I just grabbed that spreadsheet and built out three or four custom objects in, a, in our own org. So we, we used that for about 12 months and you know, that, that's where mission control came from. So we, in our spare time, we kept adding new features to it over that 12-month period. So it's like, okay, well, it doesn't do this, but obviously we, we've got the skill set to, to make that happen. So in between client projects, we would just add additional functionality to it. And then it was, I think it was about 12 months in, I said to Chris, you know, this is looking pretty good. We should, you know, we should get it on the App Exchange. And yes, yeah, so I think it was like July 2012, we, we listed Mission Control. Wow. So yeah, just kind of by accident, it became a product that was useful and, and something that you could you could market as uh, as more than just something for you and Chris to use. So just yeah. just before I go into to scaling a product, yourself and Chris, do you have similar skill sets or or different skill sets? Similar and different, I guess. It's uh, <laughs> I think you know, we always and, and this was I guess a, a benefit and potentially a curse of of, of, of scaling, but um, we were fortunate that. Between the two of us, we we were able to do everything the business needed. You know, I always I always describe that I, I was probably twenty percent technical, eighty percent business. Chris was eighty percent technical, twenty percent business. So our skill set just complemented each other. We um you know we we kind of blended in the middle. But between the two of us, we were able to do like every every facet of ru- of running the business. So it meant we didn't have to bring it in. It's not like we were a couple of founders with this amazing idea and we had to go and get funding to then bring in people to do the work for us. We were able to actually you know, develop the whole thing ourselves. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very complimentary relationship. And the uh, the early days, were the board meetings genuinely out in the surf? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were. yeah. I think we we actually posted something on social media. But yeah, it was like a couple of us just someone had taken a photo of the two of us walking out with our surfboards, and it was like, yeah, we made a joke about heading out to the boardroom. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect joking. So, how do you go from having an idea? So you you built this product for you and Chris to both use internally, to then switching gears and saying, right now we're going to expand this and and we're going to you know offer it a scale to to. You know, however many customers are going to sign up, like how do you switch gears with that and uh, and get something ready for the the potential of it it being kind of used by the mass market? I mean, ultimately, we we literally did just stay. So, going back to you know having launched Mission Control on the App Exchange, we were still primarily a consulting partner. So you know we were maturing as a consulting professional services business. So you know we were challenging the system you know we were challenging mission control ourselves we're like as we matured we're like right we need to be knowing these metrics or we want to expand what it can do to to allow us to do x y or z so we were definitely 
driving the roadmap of what got added really to, to deliver our own needs still as an evolving consulting practice. And then from, you know, obviously, you know, I think fast forward another five years, we, we reached a point with product revenue where we're like, okay, well, let's shut the doors on consulting and, and purely focusing on uh, in on the product. So I think we've been in that position now for about four years. And so dur- during that time and 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 going forward, we've, we've really obviously, you know, we drive a lot of the roadmap from what we want to do. And even now, obviously, we, we're still adding functionality to allow us to run our own business on the product. So, you know, as well as all of the professional services automation functionality it has in there, we've evolved it to allow us to manage like the, the product roadmap and the development cycle of, of our software. So, you know, we, we certainly encourage our customers to give us feedback as well. So we're, we're factoring all of that in. But yeah, really, really driving the core of the product has has come from what we you know what we needed it to do. Yeah, I guess that's a massive advantage for anyone building a product if they can actually use it themselves and and test it every day through you know putting putting new challenges its way. I guess that's probably the ideal business scenario, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, given you know going back to consulting, we we made sure that it you know. As as I say, as as we were maturing, we wanted to know things like you know what what's our billable revenue, what you know what's the profit and loss, what's the gross margin, what's the resource utilization. We were building all of that functionality in, and then as we were really transitioning into a a, a full software company, I, so my my roadmap literally started as a like a text file, <laughs> you know, just a a text file of of, of a small amount of of things that you know, oh, it'd be nice if it did this, or it'd be nice if it did that, and then. As we evolved, and maybe I'd, I would start structuring that that list into separate lists, and it was like, you know, really need something a bit more sophisticated than this. And so we we eventually added in the functionality of capturing requirements, building out user stories, working out a, this larger program of work, which ultimately has become our roadmap. So then you're taking those requirements and you're allocating them into individual releases. Yeah, so we've 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 added in a lot of functionality over, over the last sort of four or five years that really allow a software company to manage that right through to you know capturing testing scenarios issue issues and resolution and so on as well sure and what one thing that i think you know a lot of people maybe underestimate is the need for marketing or, or even how you do market a product because you know a lot i speak to a lot of people in the salesforce ecosystem that have an idea mm-hmm. but there's a difference between having an idea and getting it in front of people and getting the right eyes on it and I think obviously your background that you've worked in marketing before is obviously beneficial, but a lot of people in the ecosystem that want to build a product haven't got that background. Yeah. So how, yeah. how did you approach that? Because obviously it was great that you had the consulting side to keep you busy and, and to bring in revenue, but there, there was obviously a plan for that to switch around, which obviously ultimately did happen, but that comes through getting the product used, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't underestimate I, I certainly can't overstate how important the app exchange has been for us in that really. So certainly in the in that first sort of tranche of time where we were still a consulting partner and you know honestly mission, our, our products were like this kind of set and forget thing we we had them listed on the app exchange and we'd built out automated nurturing programs in inside Salesforce so any any lead that came in from the app exchange was was really low touch on our part so we would continuing Doing our professional services work, which was where the where, where the revenue was really coming from at that point, 
so yeah, the, the, the app exchange has been has been huge for us. And then obviously transitioning away from professional services means that we've been able to mature again as a you know as, as a software company, really driving other channels. So the obviously we've been a bit hamstrung over the last. 18 months like anyone else with COVID. So certainly face-to-face events have dropped off. But so we were a, a huge supporter of the of, of the dreaming events out, out in the community. They were great. Really, you know, I I never really approached those of wanting to, you know, I wasn't expecting to get a return on investment from a I'm gonna sell enough to cover the cost of this event. But it was really just a, a great way of getting awareness of the of the product out into the ecosystem because obviously you've got key you know you've got a lot of partners turn up to that you've got a lot of um, system administrators user group leaders MVPs that sort of thing so you, you, you're just really building awareness via those channels and then honestly in the in the last 18 months obviously you know we got back to sort of March last year and I think like most people it was like okay well our plans are gonna have to change around you know what we're looking to achieve this year so we really just double down on content and like webinars and so on. So, you know, they, that's really where we've spent a lot of time in the last 18 months, just building out good quality content on the website for people, mixture of product and thought leadership content, really. Because mm, it's, um, I think, an amazing, having an amazing product is one thing, but it doesn't, like, it has to get into to the right channels and the right, to the right people. Otherwise, you know, some great products out there just don't succeed because of that. And I yeah. think that's one thing that a lot of people just don't, they just don't know because that's not their area of expertise, as in like, you know, they don't know what the right channels are and, and they don't know the value of going to like a Down Under Dreaming event because they've never been before. And, and sometimes they look at the price and think like, maybe not so much Down Under Dreaming because that's cheaper than going to a world tour, right? And having a booth. Mm. But people are scared by the the outlay because they don't know what they're going to get back. But you can't really put a value on all of that, that fake time. Correct, yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so uh, so Mission Control wasn't your first product, which I didn't know, actually. I thought it was, and I thought other products had followed. So you mentioned that the plan was to be a product business. So so it was always the, the plan wasn't just to have one successful product. It was to, to branch out into other areas. Yeah, so as I say, IntelliMail was the first product, and then Mission Control came along after that. And, yeah, I, I think our, our initial strategy really was to just build what we would consider a, a lot of small utility tools like not nothing that was going to i guess set the world on fire and it was really just a number of different things that could all be fairly self-sufficient so you know we, we built in telemail then mission control and then mercury sms our text messaging solutions so that one actually came from i guess an, a need from a few customers so Back then, you know, there was only there was only one or two solutions on the app exchange that 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 catered for that requirement. These customers had engaged us on consulting implementation work, and they they had a need for an SMS app, and they couldn't get the app exchange solutions to work for them. So we'd actually ended up being engaged to build a couple of custom solutions for these specific customers. And I said to Chris, you know, if we can if we can build something that's simple to configure and, and easy to use, then Obviously, you could, you know, we probably get something onto the app exchange again. That's uh, that's what we did. So that's where Mercury came from. And then um, the the fourth one that we built proves that not not everything's a success, right? So we we got engaged by one of the top four banks, but it wasn't the actual bank itself. It was like a, a franchised model of of, mo- of mobile lenders. So a couple of these individual 
like franchisee owners, if you like, that they were trying to use Salesforce in their own business. And, you know, I, I met with them from a, from a consulting perspective, they were wanting us to implement this. And it's like the work that they were asking us for is like, you know, certainly close to a hundred grand. And it's like, you know, this one, one man band. And it's like, you know, just, I know you're not going to justify this cost. So we started exploring different options with them. And so we, we found out that there were numerous lenders out there in this network. So the idea was that we would build it uh, at a very, very small entry cost for each individual franchisee. And we would own the IP and, and, and market it out. Uh, so we started gaining some traction with that, but we could just never get a head office to endorse it to the whole network. So um, it just became a bit of a losing battle, really. That would have been uh, potentially one where you'd have been surfing every day had it come off. For sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you pressure test ideas as a as a product business? Like if you, especially if it's not necessarily like a bolt on to mission control, as an example, like it's not a new product that you're adding to your existing suite. It's kind of left field. That because it must be hard to know how far to go with an idea before you realise it's going to work or it's not going to work. Like how do you kind of get to that point i mean i I think from you know from our point of view if we if we look at the four apps that we have built in telemail i actually got that idea from the you know like the trailblazer community what you know what was the idea exchange so you could see that there was a a need for that in in the market as i say mission control i've explained where that one's come from mercury you know again we knew there was a, a market for that because customers were asking us for it. The, you know, the, the existing solutions weren't really delivering on what they wanted. And then the, the final one really is like, you know, we looked at that and saw there was a potential. There was a clearly defined audience of who, who we could market that to. So, you know, that 75% success rate. I'll, I'll take yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, it must be hard, like especially starting a new business, like a product from scratch. Mm. A lot of people like, can get really excited. And I, I mean, I speak to people outside of the Salesforce ecosystem that come up with this idea, and it sounds amazing, but then it never yeah. gets anywhere. And is it just the, the like, is it always a timing thing, or do you have to know in your experience, do you have to know the audience is there before you push too far with a product? I, I mean, I, I think it depends on you know what type of app it is as well. You know, I think you know. You go and search the app exchange for project management. You're going to get 350 responses. Do I even know those 350? Like, no, I don't. You know, we 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 would compete really with a with a handful of them. And so, where I would say where we're fortunate with Mission Control is we're we're operating in a pretty competitive environment, but we're operating in a in a white space area that Salesforce does. You know, Salesforce doesn't really have a have a core product offering in that in that space so that's certainly helped so you know you like the the you know, talking about the various channels of like you know app exchange is huge for us but like the salesforce team are also uh, a, a great refer referral source you know so they're, they're trying to sell that uh, salesforce to their prospect comes up in their discovery that they need project management so that we get referred from the the Salesforce uh, sales team a lot to to fill a gap. You know they don't have a, a solution for. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's handy for consulting business as well. And I've not thought of uh, that as well for the kind of the, the product business like yourself, with popping up and filling a gap and, and mm-hmm. helping them sell the service or sell the, their offering uh, a lot easier. Yeah. So in your experience, what would you say, apart from having a good product, but the success of a product business, like what are the kind of key aspects in your experience? 
I think we've always taken the approach of we're not here to reinvent the wheel. Okay, so you know, like Salesforce is hugely successful for for a good reason. So we, you know, we, we've like really designed our whole software development ethos around that. You know, so trust obviously is is number one. You know, the, the customer's got to got to have trust that you know what you're doing with the product, you're taking it in the right direction, and transparency. Like you know, we all. We'll regularly communicate to customers with um, you know, with, with what's coming up, and obviously reliability. So we are actually dealing with a really important piece of data inside our customers. You know, so professional services businesses drive cash flow into their business by by doing billable work. So we've got they've got we've got to provide them with a reliable solution, and that's ultimately what's going to drive our customer retention, and um, really like willingness to listen. You know, I think it. It sounds simple to me. I, I, I literally like I, my my mind blows when my well, we we get amazing feedback from customers around, you know, the fact that we're you know we're, we are reliable. We we you know we quickly get in touch on support tickets. You know, we we always listen to what our customers are looking for. I'm like, why isn't everyone doing this? This isn't this shouldn't be something special about us, you know. And really, just like our motto in Aprika has always been, uh, you know, dr- driven to exceed. So I, th- I think that really just filters through everything that we do. You know, we we always want to be doing better than what our customers are going to be expecting us to do. Yeah, and if you do that, you're going to succeed, right? So over the years, so you started off doing product and consulting, and obviously since you've moved to being 100% product, um, how has your role changed as the business has grown? Well, good news, I, I am wearing less hats these days. I think the uh, the, the I guess the biggest bit of sweet change I've had is um so as mentioned earlier like you know there was always a this 80 20 complement between Chris and I so the bittersweet moment was seeing the work that I you know my, my physical coding was getting replaced but it was getting replaced with some amazing new features so it was uh, it felt weird to see my you know my own sort of fingerprints disappearing but um it, it as I say it was uh, it was sweetened by the fact that the product was just becoming bigger and better and you know I often joke about looking at how, what we launched with in 2012 I was like man how did we ever convince anyone to buy the product back then when, <laughs> I, when I see what it's capable of doing now but yeah I mean like I, I guess my role as a, a CEO of a, of a pretty small SaaS business you know th- there are ultimately many hats to wear so having the ability to just shift gear and you know one minute dealing with customer support one minute dealing with strategic business decisions or like product direction so i think certainly what i think what excites me the most is 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 driving the product roadmap and and, and speaking with customers around what they you know what they want to see in it yeah nice yeah it must be a, a strange feeling like because it was your baby right at the beginning and it still is but your like you said your fingerprints are less and less kind of yeah. involved in that but but looking back at the original product, there's that saying, right? That if you if you aren't embarrassed by your first product, then you release it too late. Do you, yeah. Is that true? Absolutely, yeah. It's, honestly, <laughs> I, I think back to it now, and I mean, just so much improvement has been put into the product. Yeah, nice. So um, I, I know you, you've discussed that you've t- touched on the community. I know you, you were um, heavily involved in the Down Under Dream in Melbourne events, and uh, what what have been some of your kind of proudest or, or like most enjoyable i would say uh, experiences having been heavily involved in the ecosystem like friendships has to be number one really it just doesn't feel like work honestly so like i think it's you know again salesforce have done an amazing job at emphasizing the importance of, of giving back and being able to 
you know, for, for an ecosystem that has personally given me so much, uh, like get, being able to give that, uh, give something back as well is, um, is great. I mean, yeah, cer certainly the, the friendships that we've, we've built over the years, you know, Lacey being one of them, for example, I remember meeting Lacey oh, probably 2010, you know, and you know, we're still such close friends and so many, so many others as well. And I think the, the, the benefit obviously is having spent time over in the U S as well. You just got, such close friends in any user group in in the world really it's uh it's an amazing ecosystem to be involved with uh, i think the probably the most satisfying um after that would be you know really just helping other people so and you you do it unknowingly really i remember having a chat with someone at the new york world tour they were part of the pep up tech program and i was um they, they, they were really struggling to break into the industry and ended up just sitting talking with her for probably half an hour that night and then we you know we ended up exchanging some emails and really just guiding her direction of where she was looking for a job and about a month later she she tagged me on twitter and said it was you know uh, like she'd managed to get this job and it was it was highly highly influenced by by the conversations we'd had and it literally still gives me goosebumps now talking about it. it's like man I, it just felt so insignificant for me to have that conversation with her but obviously it's it, it's literally it's it's given her a career now so she's like two years in and doing amazing so that's um, maybe that, your uh, maybe huge. your mum was right and what i guess you have been involved in this ecosystem for a long time so what what continues to excite you about the world of, of salesforce running your business like what what is kind of exciting you to to keep doing what you're doing uh, just our own product, honestly. I think that's it. Blows my mind that where we are now has come from a spreadsheet I put together in my spare time, like 16, 17 years ago. And we're just so like just what we've got to do with the product as well. You know, like I, I generally will always have a, a, a two to three year roadmap of of the, the the main strategic direction of the product. And yeah, just like so, I I do all of the like the initial solution architecture and, and design of, of the product. So that I, I could do that 24 hours a day. It's uh, that's what excites me the most for sure. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed hearing the, the journey and, and hearing kind of some of your advice on, on what's made your business a success. And if anyone does want to reach out and just pick your brains or ask any questions, where are you found? I'm happy for you to hand out my email. You can get me on LinkedIn or Twitter as well. Aprika underscore Colin is my Twitter handle. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, all the best for, for the success that is still to come as well. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people